find myself in an interesting position today because、mm. we have a topic which I know the two of you care greatly about, but I mostly care about how you two feel <laughs> rather than the thing itself. So you sort of meta care, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So、okay. basically, so Sony have announced that they are shutting down the store, the online store that is for the PlayStation Three, the PSP, and the Vita, which、yes. kind of marks the end of these consoles again. I feel like these consoles have ended a bunch of times, and this is another one. So, like, obviously, there have been no new games for a while. But now there's no official way to buy old games either. So like Stephen, like as of right now, if you listen to the show when it comes out, you can still buy games for the PlayStation Three and and the PSP and the you can buy them still. So the PlayStation Three and the PSP store closes on July second, and then the Vita store closes on August twenty seventh. So if you have old games that you care about and for some reason you haven't bought them yet. Go do that. I mean, I don't really、mm-hmm. know what kind of PSA this is. Like, if you've been holding out on that Vita game that you haven't bought yet, now's the time to go. <laughs> that, is a, that is actually a very good PSA. I think that is a good PSA. Okay. I mean, well, we can get to this in a bit because I've seen、okay. these lots. There's long game lists that we're going to talk about later on. But Sony has confirmed that it will be possible to re-download old games. So if you've bought something in the past. You're gonna have to download it onto your Vita right now. And I, when this news came out, I think people assumed that this meant that all of these games were lost forever. So I actually well, think、mm. it's pretty good of Sony to keep this available for the foreseeable future because I wouldn't have assumed that that was what they were going to do, right? Like, well, I, if you, but if you purchase them, that's the idea. Like, what if you? I still never don't think that that purchased. That,、uh, well, look, okay, so okay. I mean, we're, we're getting into maybe a, a different kind of discussion right now, but mm, I mm. think that there's something that people don't like to、uh, think about, but is 100 true, which is if you buy any digital good, you do not own it. You own a license to get it while it's available. If it's no longer available anymore, you can't get it anymore, right? So, like, if there's some kind of rights issue that means a Piece of content has to be taken down from a store. You don't necessarily get the ability to download it anymore, right? Like it's、mm-hmm. the, we're in this like weird, murky waters where like if you buy a physical game, you have that game. But if you buy something from a digital storefront, I don't think you can as easily say, "Yeah, I can get this whenever I want." I'm not saying it's the right way to do things. I think it's the wrong way to do things. But it is just kind of like a reality of digital storefronts. So, nevertheless, I just when I read this news in full, I was su- pleasantly surprised、uh, about the fact that you would still be able to get access to these old titles if you wanted them. So, back on episode ninety, we covered the history of the PSP itself,、right. um, and so people know that, like, you know, listeners know that that there is a great affection on this show for Sony's. Portables, of course. Shane has an extra special soft spot for the Vita, right? Because I know that that was a big thing in your career,、uh, Shane.、Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to know, like, did this news? Did it make either of you feel anything specific? <laughs> made me feel old. Okay, that <laughs> that's, that's perfectly、sure. fair.、Uh, it made. I guess we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but broadly speaking. 
made me feel old, brought back a lot of memories from my, especially for the PSP, um, from my days in high school when I used to mod my PSP and my friends' uh, PSPs as well. And it made me realize that there's still a bunch of games in my backlog that I actually <laughs> never got to. I can't. Up. No, this isn't right. You can't have a backlog that lasts like I do. 10 years. I do. No, I mean, you can, you can have it, but you can't address it as such because you'll never play a new video game right like if you're if you're holding on to that backlog well well this is a realization that um i actually saw a friend of the show mohammed tahir tweet Uh about this a few days ago mohammed said the video something along the lines of the video game industry could shut down tomorrow and i will still have games to play for a lifetime and that is so true these days. There's yeah. such an abundance of... Like, they could stop making games today, right now, and I'll be 60, and I'll still be catching up on my backlog. I most feel likely. like if they shut video games down forever, I would get to the age of 95 and would still have an intention to go back to No Man's <laughs> Sky. Like, I feel like I would still... <laughs> but that's exactly what I mean. Yeah, that's exactly that's a, what I mean. It's a very fair point. There right? is a bunch... There is... A, there's a, at least two very specific video games that I'm going to talk about shortly mm-hmm. that I, I, I'm I super honest with you guys right now. I have been thinking since, since high school to eventually get those games and play them, and I never did. So I do think No Man's Sky, in all seriousness, will be one of these games for me. Every time I see an update, I'm like, like oh. oh man, that looks really cool. <laughs> but I'll tell you something that stops me of it. We're going on a big tangent now. I do have this feeling of like, surely this game's too complicated for me to even understand now, right? Like that if I, because it seems like it's grown so much that I feel like I couldn't even fathom it if I went near it. Like I'm sure that like, and uh, realistically, I'm sure that they have a very good tutorial. But there's just this like, oh my gosh, this game is so much bigger. Uh, than when I started. One day I'll get to it, he says. Mm. So, Shade, how do you feel about these consoles, kind of? Because this kind of really does feel like the end now, right? I I feel like going into a rendition of My Way now, yeah. or something like that. Well, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, little tangent. Do you know how much content is uploaded to YouTube every day? Oh, it's, it's just an obscene amount, right? Like eighty-two million? years <laughs> per day, okay. per day. Uh-huh. So yeah, this this whole situation where we have got more content than we'll ever play, and you know, I I hear what you're saying about No Man's Sky. There are still Amiga games I want to play. Yeah. There are still Spectrum games I want to go back to. Here's the thing: the further back you go the harder it is to appreciate the feeling that the game gave you. Mm. Games are about reproducing the feelings of the time, very much about the the zeitgeist. They don't do it for me now. Um, Perhaps not that long ago, I say not that long ago, perhaps in the 90s, the games of the 80s would just about produce some of those feelings. But now when I play those games... It doesn't matter if I try and reproduce them using some kind of um, CRT emulator. You know, I can't bring back the the oxygen from the 80s 
and the light quality from the 80s and the food from the 80s to completely recreate the feeling of what it was like to play a game in the 80s. You can't unremember all the progress that we've made since then. So when you go back and you play those things, you think, oh, you know, all right. But did I really have to restart my entire game after I died? And there are so many quality of life factors that video games now adopt that make it painful to play games, even as little as 10 years old. Now, the interesting thing for me is a lot of the Vita games are not yet 10 years old. They fall into that I'm going to call it a 10-year window where games still feel kind of relevant and yeah. not too old um, that, that you start to miss the quality of life features and it becomes a, a pointless nostalgia trip. So those games, I still feel something for now. I would still play them now. And would, the, the question is opportunity cost. Would I rather play seven-year-old Vita games than a game on the PS5? And the answer is no. But as soon as you tell me these games are going to be gone for good. Of course, of course, mm. the fear of loss kicks in. And it is about that fear of loss. Mm -hmm. But let's have a look at evolution's grand journey, right? There was this period called the Cambrian Explosion. We lost so many intermediary species. And the rate of acceleration we have in the creation of content now is way, way in excess of anything seen then. So there are vast geological tracts of time where we have no clear fossil record. It's impossible because things change so quickly. And it's going to be the same with video games, my friends. We are going to have years and years and years of unstable progress. And then suddenly we'll break through and there will be a moment where you can do just about anything on anything at any time. We're pretty much already there with Netflix and movies, but we will get there with video games at some point too. In the meantime, we've got all these curios and these little um, pinpricks to our past that try, I, I think that try and steal our attention from the fact that actually, yeah, that was a good time, but games have moved on. So are you, when you say about um, like the, these things going in and out and referring it to Netflix, are you meaning that like we're, we're approaching a point where there won't be a this game isn't available anymore Correct. moment. Okay. We will have total ubiquity. There's just always there. It's a catalogue exactly, that exists exactly. forever. And, and... Yeah. The only, the only problem we will have are license issues. You know, that's what yeah. we have with movies right now. Yeah. That's what we have with music. The only issues are legal. Yeah. Technical issues will go away. I mean, already I can play any game I want to play from the past. I was trying to play a game I made myself in 1986. You know, I can't reproduce <laughs> my own video game. I got to find it preserved by other people and abandoned websites. I do need to just double back on a thing that makes this podcast unique is that you will never hear the PlayStation Portable and the Cambrian Explosion mentioned <laughs> together in the same sentence. <laughs> anywhere else. This is the one thing that you're going to get here. <laughs> and that is a very good point that I hadn't considered, which is that like this whole idea of these things end of life thing, as it were, and then that means we don't get access to them anymore is going to stop. And I think that we are actually on there's like a there's two different technologies I think that we're on the verge of right now in 2021. One being 
streaming services, right? Everyone's moving to streaming services of some description. Uh, and the potential future of a streaming service where you no longer need hardware. And the other point being that games consoles are effectively PCs now. So, you know, as we, I think we're moving further and further with this as a starting point, the hardware will become more ubiquitous as time goes on. And the, but also the content platforms will just become these huge online focused things which are um ambivalent to what they're being played on right and it, yeah and totally. I think that's that's the difference of like well the playstation vita well i mean it, that is the games are built for that hardware and they are like symbiotic right like they they only work together and you know what will happen is that we'll probably have different branding for different periods or different consoles or different categories of licensed content. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you look at the online streaming of movie and TV content, you've got Disney, you've got Netflix, you've got Prime Video. I'm not going to list all of them, don't worry. But I'm going to come to, the, to my favorite curio, which is BritBox. Yeah. BritBox has got a whole bunch of stuff that I love from the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, okay? My childhood and youth. So I will often play stuff from that period. Now, would I would I play that in prime time? No. I'll tell you when I have it on. I have it on when I'm programming. Uh, and the reason is because it's old and familiar. It's like this comfort food in the background. It's almost like I will lift up my eyes away from my screen and look at what's on on the telly just to feel good. That's all it's about. And so the whole BritBox thing is about giving me the feeling of retro without me having to worry so much about the experience of retro. I'm mm. not giving my current time to this, but it's still available. There's a difficulty in doing the same thing with video games because we are active in them there is way more agency, way more physical agency. It's the same with, obviously, the, the same situation that you've got with um, TV and video is, you could say the same for audiobooks, you could say the same for podcasts, right? It's something that can be done in addition to anything you're already doing. But video games, I think we will struggle a little bit. We might have these retro channels for video games yeah. that allow us to play games from, say, the golden indie era of Vita, which was 2013 to 14 or whatever, right? But how many people will choose to do that for more than a few minutes before going, you know what, I'd rather just play Fortnite? Yeah, I, I definitely do sit in this camp of, like, I don't really want to play old games. <laughs> like I, I have mm. these feelings of, like, oh, I would like to play this game. But then I'm like, you know what? New games are better <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> there are like obviously there are asterisks, right? There's there's no statement that can be made, like because there are new games now that suck, and there are old games that are great, and you can go back to them. But like I feel like for me, by and large, I can find a modern video game that I want to play more than even my favorite games of old because there's new experiences to have. And if if I choose to play a classic game, that's great. But am I then stopping myself from a new experience? And you know, like I think one of the other large themes of this show is as we get older it becomes more difficult 
to spend time playing video games, right? Like finding that time becomes more difficult. And so I know that one of the themes for me over the last year or two has been like, I have to very specifically choose the games I'm going to play. And so I want to personally continue to consume new experiences, but I also, there's a lot of stuff that I won't even try because it might not be excellent, you know? So like, anyway, we're veering way off course and we obviously need to talk about game preservation because Federico will naturally want to talk about that and this is a, a perfect example of a reason we would talk about it. So let's take a break and then when we come back, we can talk about the paths that I'm sure that Federico's taking to somehow preserve all of these games. <laughs> it's like got like 70 PSPs loaded up of everything he's <laughs> wanted to play. You joke about it. Like yeah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> this episode of Remaster is brought to you by Technology Untangled. I love finding podcasts to listen to new ones. I love binging uh, back catalogs of shows too. And, and it's even better when you can learn something. You can learn fun new things from these podcasts and this is what technology untangled is all about hosted by michael bird it is a show that deciphers technology's rapid evolutions with one simple question in mind what's really going to shape our future and what's going to end up in the bargain bin with the floppy disk this is actually a perfect theme for today's episode of remaster there's loads (laughs) of great topics like for example they take a deep dive into 5g on one episode they talk about ai the future of work every uh episode features these really big deep dives like for example what about uh, mission to mars is one of the episodes recently i also checked out one about supercomputers you know, this is like a when I was looking through the the list of episodes listened to, I wanted to to listen to one before this episode today. It's like supercomputers is something which has intrigued me because it's an area of computing that I feel like I don't really know a lot about. Like, what makes a, a supercomputer super? Like, what do we use supercomputers for? And I thought surely we don't continue to use this type of technology today. It feels like supercomputers were something people used to solve problems that we can solve today on our iPhones. But it turns out we do use supercomputers today. In fact, supercomputers have been really important during COVID because they the researchers have been able to sift through billions of molecules to look for drugs to repurpose. So like you know how different types of medication, the side effects of medications that we already use can be used to treat other things. Well, if you have all of these different um, medications and we know what they do and we're looking for a specific thing to solve, you can run these models that can work out, oh, okay, how can this medication attack COVID particles, right? Or like, you know, and so, yeah, it's been really, really awesome uh, the way that supercomputers are still used today to try and solve things that we need to solve quickly, Right, it's like we could solve them, but it would take a long time otherwise. So yeah, go mm. check it out. I, I don't want to spoil the whole episode for you, but it's really, really fascinating. So go search for Technology Untangled anywhere that you listen to podcasts, and there'll be a link in the show notes too. Our thanks to Technology Untangled for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, being a friend of Federico, he sends me things every now and then. Sometimes mm. a collection mm. of images, and so I mm. know that Federico has been knee-deep in PlayStation Portables recently. Would you like to tell the remastered audience what you've been doing? Well, first of all, I would like to say that, like I share with you your 
your stance on having limited time to play video games and therefore trying to prioritize modern and recent games also because of the of the sort of a cultural zeitgeist angle like I would rather play a game that other people are playing at this moment in time so that I can have conversations with them and I can know what they're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So that I can relate to. However, I also feel like, well, maybe unlike you, I tend to be very, like, (laughs) finding a niche game and trying to find that game again like hunting down that game on ebay um discovering like old web pages and old tutorials for that game or for an old console like that speaks to a part of my brain that is actually very relaxing to me like doing research on old stuff it's it's got a very calming effect on me and uh and i also like the idea of playing an old game that very few people know about and you can get very deep on it. This usually happens with old role-playing games for me. I don't know, it does something to my brain that is super relaxing and exciting at the same time. It's a weird feeling. And so that's why game preservation for me, it's it's fascinating as a topic for, for the personal reason, which is this one, and more broadly, because I do believe that it's such a shame that so many works of art are getting lost to servers shutting down, right? And to the internet economy of trying to have more, more new content. It's always about the new. And I do think that it's important to preserve the old, at least in some form, because it provides the necessary context to understand what we have today. Mm-hmm. And, th- and so f- from that game preservation angle... Um, First of all, I I wanted to clarify how uh, you mentioned you will be able to re-download those games from your existing purchased list. Right now, Sony has already pulled down the web browser version of those online stores. Yeah. So if you if you want to re-download the game on your PSP or Vita, you have to use the apps on on those devices. Yeah. You have to use the store on the console, not on a web browser. It used to be until a couple of years ago that you could go using Safari or Chrome on your computer to the to the store page and you could just download games there mm-hmm. and it and they would show up on the Vita or the PSP. That's not the case anymore. Uh, also it's important to remember both consoles, thankfully, they come with support for physical media. I guess, except the PSP Go, which is the weird edition that is digital only. But fortunately, both the PSP and the PS Vita, you can still find games as UMD discs or cartridges in the case of the Vita. Um, so for, from, a, from a preservation standpoint, that also helps because sure, there are many games that were released as digital only versions, but you can still find the physical versions as well if you want to have a physical backup, uh, which is what I've been doing lately, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, And lastly, I will mention, we talked about this years ago on the show, the PS Vita has another version. Remember, guys, the PlayStation TV? That Mm -hmm. used to be a thing, and if you want, you can still get one on eBay. 
And that is a way for you to play Vita games on a TV using a DualShock 3 or a DualShock 4. So from a preservation standpoint, there's also that that physical media and that version of the Vita uh, to remember. Now, I have been busy. So since I, I saw the news that Sony was shutting down these stores, I had two thoughts on my mind. First, what does it say about Sony and its approach to game preservation, which at the moment, there isn't one, really. Um, We talked about this a few episodes ago. Microsoft is really leading the industry here with their approach to uh, emulation on Xbox and the, the, the very unique combination that Microsoft has at the moment of emulation as part of a Game Pass subscription, which I think is really fascinating. They're using old games to fill their back catalog content, which feeds into the Game Pass subscription, ultimately. And I think that's a really fascinating approach. Apple has an interesting new direction, potentially. It's probably too soon to tell with Apple Arcade and the fact that they are bringing back some classic games from the App Store, making them part of an Apple Arcade subscription. Yeah. That is potentially fascinating, but it's very early. I wouldn't to tell. trust any game preservation angle which is done for a commercial gain. Mm-hmm. Yes, me neither. I think, honestly, only Microsoft's heart is really in it at the moment because they've spent a ton of resources to make that emulation really stand out on Xbox with the 4K upscaling, HDR, machine learning applied to emulation. Like, from a technological point of view, Microsoft is really invested in Yeah, I, I do the wonder, The cynic though. could argue that they need the content. <laughs> you got right. that before me. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, if they're selling more Xboxes, do they care so much? I, I'm not saying yes or no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Nintendo is obviously <laughs> all over the place. Nintendo... Oh, they just forget about could, it. They're like, oh, here's a new shot. game and it's only available for 100 days. LOL, right? Like, Nint- they don't yes, care. <laughs> they don't care. And they could have had such a great opportunity with the virtual console. But wait, wait, wait. Did, did you guys... Did, you did get the SNES, right? Remember the mini SNES when it came out? Yeah, and I never opened it. How often do you play it? I never opened it. I bought it and never opened it. I played Mario Kart once and I put it away. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, So anyway, game preservation, I don't know. It's maybe we should stop. I guess my conclusion here is maybe we should stop trusting companies to do this and support individuals or organizations like the Video Game History Foundation that actually do this for like uh, professionally. Because, you know, the, the platform owners whether for technical issues, for copyright issues, or for financial issues, they just don't care about this stuff. But there's other people that do. And maybe, ultimately, it's such a niche thing that we should just trust those people. It's important. I mean, you say it's niche, right? I mean, I I hear your arguments, and I I almost felt like you were trying to justify the way you feel. And you don't I feel like I have to. I feel like I have to. No, 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 you don't. You know what you're arguing for? the right to a subculture. That's a yes. beautiful thing, man. What's uh, wrong with that? The, the the thing with Mike and I, Mike, forgive me and correct me if I've mis- misinterpreted your stand on this. I think Mike and I are probably a bit more mainstream and not as subculture focused as you are. Subcultures have always fascinated me, so I think you're right. 
Yes, that is definitely part of it. Like that's at least the, when it comes to gaming for me. For, mm, yes, mm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think that's absolutely right. Because um, when it comes to keyboards, Mike, you've gone down I'm that in. rabbit hole, exactly. my friend. Like, exactly. you, you know, everyone has their thing. Uh, but like yeah, for like, me, it's fancy headphones and old video games. Yeah, that's really what <laughs> <laughs> is it all about. The Federico Vitici story. <laughs> um, so I've been doing a few things. I sort of. Uh, Taking it upon myself to try and fix uh, what uh, things that I didn't do years ago. So there's a couple of threads here that I've been pulling. Um, so I asked my mom to go and find my old PSP consoles. I have an original fat PSP and a slim PSP. I never got the PSP 3000, which was the third revision. And I do have a PSP Go here at, at home. So, unfortunately, my, P my original PSP, the original FAT model, it's missing the backplate that covers the battery for some reason, and it's also missing the, the analog stick. Hmm. The Slim, I thought, was doing okay. Uh, so, all I, do, all I did was I ordered a replacement battery on Amazon and a new power adapter, and I thought that was it. So, I, I replaced the battery, and I charged it, and it was fine. Much to my surprise, I, I did the homework back in the day. I left a four gigabyte memory card in it. So good choice, lots of storage. And I did leave it. So for context, the last time I, I used the, the PSP Slim was in 2007, probably. So it's been, sh it's been sitting in, uh, on a shelf in my, in my uh, parents' house for the past uh, 14 years, something like that. Um, it turned on just fine. I left my custom firmware installed. I found my the old emulators for the Nintendo 64 and the Super Nintendo on it. I played a bunch of Mario 64. It was still working just fine. Unfortunately, the screen is almost dead and there's a bunch of vertical stripes displayed on it. It makes games unplayable. Any text, oh, that's, oh, you, that's such a you shame. cannot you cannot read any text at all. So, I ordered also a replacement display unit on Amazon. <laughs> it arrived two days ago, and uh, usually I involved Sylvia in this project, and I told her, "Look, we gotta open a PSP and change the display." She's really crafty like that. She mm -hmm. likes to do this kind of stuff. We re we realized last night we didn't have the proper equipment, like the proper. Uh, screwdrivers to 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 open the PSP. So I went I went on Amazon again and I ordered the iFixit Essentials toolkit, which is like iFixit has this basic like toolkit with a bunch of different screwdrivers and and pliers and accessories to open. I'm assuming that they don't use typical screwdrivers, which is why you had the issue, right? Uh, yeah, it's like a very small Philips uh, zero, zero something screwdriver. Right. So it arrived a couple of hours ago. So we're going to try again tonight. Uh, in the meantime, I also went on a bit of a shopping spree on eBay. Um, I finally, so the games that I've been meaning to play forever are two games. First one is a PSP game. I don't know if you guys remember this. Jean d'Arc. So it's a, it's a level five game uh, that came out on PSP in 2006 in Japan, 2007 in, in Europe. It retells 
the story of jo- uh, Joan of Arc in a fantasy fashion with monsters and magic. Um, made by Level 5, came out on PSP. It's basically Final Fantasy Tactics made by Level 5, set in medieval France with Joan d'Arc uh, as a protagonist. I've always meant to play that game. It looked incredible at the time with the classic level five anime style, and mm-hmm. I never did. I never played that game. This is such a specific game. <laughs> it's a, see, this is a specific game, f- and, and it's especially my kind of game because I consider Final Fantasy Tactics, of course, one of my like top five all-time favorite video games. Yeah that I've ever played. And when uh when um Jean Dark cool. came I'm looking at the, cool. uh, a, a YouTube video of yeah. gameplay and it has a very unique looking um aesthetic to it. Yes, yes. And when he first came out, I don't know what, what I was probably busy uh preparing my final exams because it was 2007 and so I had my high school final exams that year in July. And I was probably busy with that. And I said, oh, I'm going to play this eventually. And I never did. Mm. So that's the first game. The other game that I've, that I've always meant to check out is what many consider the, the precursor to Final Fantasy Tactics, which would be Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together. So Tactics Ogre uh, was made by many of the same people that eventually went on to work on Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, I believe Matsuno worked on this, um, and uh, it's it's a it's a, the more difficult, more challenging, and even the story is more mature version of Final Fantasy Tactics. This is one of the craziest sounding names for a game. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I so just original... wanna, in case you missed it, <laughs> Tactics Ogre colon yes. Let Us Cling Together. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure everyone. The original Tactics Ogre, I believe, came out on Super Nintendo. I want to say, and they, or or maybe the original PlayStation, and they redid the Let Us Cling Together version on PSP. Um, so obviously, I did all my research. I looked on Amazon Italy, Amazon US. Uh, eventually, for these things, eBay is always the best place. So I'm waiting for. I'm going to look at my order page. So I got a PSP 3000, right? Because it's got, I never got one. I found a, I found a used one for in good conditions for, you know, less than a hundred euros. Uh, the PSP, the third revision, it's got a much better LCD display and it's also got uh, an updated button configuration. So I'm waiting for that. I was able to find the special edition of Tactics Ogre. So with the, it's got the soundtrack and the game, and the and the little instruction manual, very nicely done. And I found so I found tactics tactics ogre in Italy, and I found Jean Dark from an eBay seller in the UK. So I'm waiting for these games, and the thing is, I'm very excited to play them, and I think I'm gonna start with with Jean Dark. Um, because uh, like doing research about the PSP and the Vita, like it brought back a lot of memories, and it made me realize that while I do tend to be very specific with the games that I'm playing now, I've also realized in the past six months that I like to do the opposite of what Mike does, 
I like to try a bunch of stuff and then nail down like two games yeah. that I really want to play. But I like to try them all just to see like, just to step out of my comfort zone. Like for example, I bought Monster Hunter Rise on the Nintendo Switch. Okay. I'm not sure this is the game for me, but no. I still wanted to play it for like a couple of hours to get a sense for it and to understand, like to really know what I'm talking about at least. And I don't think it's the game for me. So, uh, yeah, I've, uh, um, the PSP situation is 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 evolving. Uh, I'm gonna try and fix my PSP Slim, but I'm also waiting for the PSP 3000. And the Vita, the Vita situation is fine. I had a PS Vita myself. Um, obviously, I could play a bunch of digital versions uh, of PSP games on the Vita because the the Vita can play PSP games digitally. Obviously, the Vita does not have a UMD uh, slot to put those small discs. Uh, however, the problem is, and this the, this is the last uh, sort of thing that, I, that I've been doing, um, some PSP games were never released digitally on the PS Store. Or they were, but for a limited time. Which, again, we go back to the issue of game preservation and access. One of those games that has never been released digitally, so a PSP game that you cannot play on the Vita, is Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. Now, I wanted to play this game because I recently finished Final Fantasy VII Remake on PS5. And without spoilers, Final Fantasy VII Remake ends um, with a major rewrite of Crisis Core. Crisis Core is a PSP title that Square Enix did as a prequel of sorts for Final Fantasy VII. And VII Remake basically alters the ending of that game. And so I finished the VII Remake on PS5 and I, I was like, huh, well now I actually kind of want to go back and play Crisis Core. Which I did play, I remember, back in the day, but I never finished the game. And so, yeah, I also have, long story short, I also have Crisis Core in front of me <laughs> because I found it on Amazon. Um, so yeah, pretty, that's pretty. That's a PSP game, right? That's a PSP game that you can only play as a UMD physical game. I want to say because the look of, like the face of the character in the game, Zack, uh, Square Enix modeled the character after a J-pop idol from Japan. Okay. And due to copyright issues, they couldn't release the digital version later. Oh, wow. I think it's, yeah, it's one okay. of those things. That makes sense. I guess they yeah. had his likeness for a certain period of time. Yeah, it's like, yes, yes. And then they couldn't uh, keep the digital version around anymore. So those are the PSP games that, I, that I'm going to play. And uh, on the Vita, just as a just to sort of uh, get a refresh, I've been playing some games again, uh, Little Big Planet, Hotline Miami, Uncharted. Like I, I went in and spent like 30 minutes each these past two weeks and it was fun. I mean, I love the They're Vita. They're great games. They're such good games. Uh, one last thing that I want to point out, in playing the Ratchet and Clank collection on the Vita, so these are the the 
three Ratchet and Clank games for PS2 that Sony, that I guess Sony and Insomniac games, they released as a collection on Vita. It makes you appreciate all the work that they did for the remake of Ratchet and Clank on PS4. Like I started playing the first Ratchet and Clank on PS Vita, and man, the remake for the PS4. It's really different. Like it, it almost feels like a completely different game than the original. And I never played the original, so that was a nice uh, surprise. Yeah. So I spent a bunch of money. That's basically the conclusion. So I, I got to ask you a question. I mean, you've gone to incredible lengths to secure games and hardware. Yeah. yeah. Um, that are as close to the original format as you can possibly get. Correct. What is the emulation scene like mm. nowadays? It's it's a lot better. So I don't think there's a Vita emulation scene. At least I uh, I haven't seen any modern emulators for the Vita. I do know that the PSP emulation scene is going pretty well. Um, we're going to talk about this eventually, too. I got one of those Android-based um, retro consoles. There's a lot of them that you can get on Amazon. I bought My one, too. Oh, nice. So we'll have the to one... share stories. Okay. So, uh, the one that I have is the RG351M. I got which... the 350. You got oh, the nicer one. Nice. It's basically the, the same stuff, though. Like, it's very similar. Um, so these are Android-based consoles that allow you to play all kinds of emulators. And I do know that the PSP emulation scene is pretty fine because these consoles, they can emulate up to the Nintendo 64, PlayStation 1, and PSP with pretty good performance. I mean, most of those games are, they, can't, they look kind of similar. to They basically feel like the original game. There's even um, mods that you can install to have like better textures in PSP games or better textures in Super Mario 64, for example. So the PSP emulation scene is doing fine, which is great news. On the Vita front, I think it's a bit more challenging because of all the additional controls that the Vita had. So the touchscreen and the rear pad, which my understanding is that makes it more challenging. Just like what it still is kind of challenging to offer... Um, decent emulation for the Nintendo DS and the 3DS because it how can you emulate mm. a touchscreen without a touchscreen or something uh, peculiar like 3D or the rear touchpad of the Vita. So that's, I think, what makes it challenging, which is, again, goes back to the point of it's important to preserve the original hardware, right? Uh, because some games, yes, you, you can have emulation, but some experiences that really take advantage of the original hardware, like Little Big Planet for the PS Vita comes to mind, or mm. the excellent Tearaway for the PS Vita mm -hmm. as well. How can you emulate those games? Yeah, I mean, certainly with the back touch on the Vita, apart from a few kind of showpiece titles, particularly Tearaway. Yeah. Very few people ended up using that feature. Yeah, which is too bad. There's always like that. Uh, some of these consoles, they always had that peculiar gimmick, whether it's the 3D on the 3DS or the back uh, touchpad uh, on the Vita, uh, that very few games take advantage of it. But in the context of preservation, like if you really care about it, like how would you answer the question, how do we preserve Tearaway? 
and I don't I, I don't think there's a there's a really good answer beyond well you just gotta keep the original hardware and uh, and the cartridge and this was a problem for Sony itself like back in the day when they announced the PlayStation TV console the PlayStation TV they announced it and I remember they had a blog post which I believe it's still up on PlayStation.com with a whitelist of PS Vita games mm. that were compatible with, with the PlayStation TV. Yeah. Because obviously some games, Uncharted, Tearaway, you couldn't play those games on the TV. So the game preservation goes all the way down. Sometimes the, uh, the, 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 the manufacturer itself, like the platform owner itself, has these problems of, well, now we have two different versions of the hardware and there's games that take advantage of features that are not available on the other version. <laughs> so how do we do it? It's funny, isn't it? The the biggest um, factor that is going to make the preservation of video game history difficult is innovation. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the PS for for PSP games, it's pretty easy. Uh, it 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 does help, obviously, that uh, the PSP was region free. So you can still, like, you can go on eBay, get a PSP from Japan. You can find these resellers from Japan that have, like, hundreds of PSP in their, like, used PSP or, like, refurbished PSP units in their warehouses. And you can get one for cheap. And then you can play, you can put a a European disc on it, and it's fine. You just got to change the language of the console, and you can use it in Europe, for example. Um... And obviously, game preservation gets a bit tricky with uh, consoles that are not region-free, like preserving uh, the GameCube, for example. Uh, But that's, you know, another discussion. Now, for the PSP and the Vita, I will say I don't love the fact that Sony is pulling the digital store, especially because of games that were only released digitally. However, I will say I think we're going to be fine especially for the Vita. Like, the Vita is pretty modern, and you can still... Like, if you go to your local GameStop, I wouldn't be surprised if you can still find, like, a PlayStation TV box, for example, or a PS Vita, like a new PS Vita. And for the PSP, I think we're going to be okay because of the market for used PSP games on Amazon and eBay. And the only potential concern is those uh, indie games for the Vita. Right, that were only released digitally on the PlayStation Store. However, the counter argument to that is those indie games were also released on other platforms. Right? I mean, you can get, I don't know, Hotline Miami on PC. You can get it on Nintendo Switch. Best on Vita. I'm sorry. They I know. Best on I Vita. know. But and you like, know it. OLED. I know it. I know. It. I have it. I know it. I agree with you. <laughs> so, sure. It's going to suck that if you didn't buy, like, someday, you know, a kid like me discovers the internet and discovers old Vita games and and they go like, well, I have realized in reading through online forums and Reddit that the Vita version of Hotline Miami is the best one. How do I get it? And there isn't really going to be, and Hotline Miami is just an example, there isn't going to be a way. Mm. Which sucks. So, I don't know. Uh, I guess my overall conclusion after, you know, spending some money over the past couple of weeks is save your hardware while you can. 
re-download your purchases while you can. Purchase digital versions while they're available until July 2nd. So use the store on your PSP and the Vita because then th those games are going to be gone forever. So, uh, and as I will say, especially, we're going to have links in the show notes. Um, the folks at Retronauts, they've been doing these excellent roundups of not just all the games that you should get from the PlayStation Store for the PSP and the Vita, but the best exclusive titles that you should get. So the original content for PSP and Vita that you should download now. Because again, those other indie games, while Shahid will tell you that those are best on Vita, and I agree with Shahid, you will be able to play those games on other consoles, right? It's the original games that you should save right now. To be completely fair to you and... You know, if you if you look back, the Vita had a successor, which didn't have the OLED screen, and I would argue mm. that Hotline Miami and many other games were just not as good on the successor. True, true, true. Yeah. That's... So you know, is is it about the game? Is it about the interpretation of the game? Is it about the hardware? Is it about the combination of all of those factors? And then you factor in the zeitgeist, and and actually, I don't know if you can't capture the zeitgeist, then does the rest really matter? Maybe not. Mm. Shahid, I, w I would be interested in knowing, you know, because I know especially the Vita was so important to you for such a long time, if there were any, like, particular games that you wanted to call out and any stories behind them. That... Oh, well, there, there were loads, and we we would be here forever if I were to go through them. I think the the reason I was so fond of the machine and grew to love it is like with anything if you if you put a lot of yourself into something then it becomes something that you love and i sure put a lot of personal um time and attention and and yes love into trying to ensure that the machine wasn't dead on arrival and there are a lot of games, obviously, that uh, it's, it's all really, really well documented. And to me, it's not so much about the games themselves, which are wonderful. And they were available for the most part. Not all of them, but there were quite a few that were available on Steam as well. Um, but it was the stories behind the games that, for me, were what, what made that period of time so special. Um, uh, I'll shout out a few, not not all of them. The list is endless. But Alien Breed by Team 17 was important because it was one of the very first public backings by a reputable developer um, for the way we were beginning to re... I guess reboot the Vita in terms of its software strategy, certainly. So they were a credible developer. And I persuaded them to do a Vita version of Alien Breed for PlayStation Mobile. Remember, PlayStation Mobile was that ill-fated format that ran both on Vita and on Sony Android phones. But it became the precursor to what was then strategic content, which had a much bigger um, mandate to engage and commission independent developers. But Alien Breed was important in that respect. And the next one was Super Crate Box, again for PlayStation Mobile. But I wanted to get Vlambeer's game on first because I wanted 
incredible indies of the time to think of PlayStation Vita as a home. But second, also, because I genuinely thought Super Crate Box would be best on Vita. And this became kind of my tagline very early on. Uh, my my Not so much my tagline, it's my pitch to developers was, look, your game seriously will be best on this machine. Do you Do you want to see your game at its best? Then this is the machine it needs to be on. And I believed that. I played a lot of hours and have played a lot of hours of Super Crate Box in a lot of places, including on iOS, and it was better on on Vita. It just that was a game that was so um, Twitch focused, Twitch in the old sense of the word, not in the newer sense yeah, of the word. Yeah. That it it really benefited from you not having to pay attention to where your fingers were. You just relied on muscle memory. And mm. that that's that was what really helped that game. You know, like you know, you needed to be able to feel the physical buttons underneath the fingers so you could make the movements and the speed that you needed to make them. Yeah. And talking of that one, for me, Hotline Miami was incredibly important. Yeah. For two reasons. First of all, because it was actually Rami who introduced me to it at um EGX in twenty thirteen. Was it twenty twelve? Twenty twelve, I think. Yeah. So he showed me it running on a PC at an EGX where they were showing Super Crate Box. This is a time when I dropped off my Vita because Rami's got stolen. And uh, I watched some kid, and it was a kid playing, and I saw the kid wince. And I thought, okay, those are pixels on the screen. You know, this is not hyper-realistic. And the kid winced. There is something to this game. So I set about going after Hotline Miami. And the rest is history. That was a spectacularly successful title on the Vita. Um, and that spawned a number of brilliant relationships that sprang, you know, just tons of other games. I mean, we had Luftrausers, Nuclear Throne, Rogue Legacy, Fez. I mean, just the list just goes on and on and on. It's a hit list of the best independent developers of the time. And they all started flocking to PlayStation. But I was also proud of some of the originals that were only on Vita, like TXK and Velocity 2X. Velocity oh. 2X, of course, eventually went on to PS4, but these were superb games, and they were TXK only on Vita. TXK was incredible. Yeah. TXK yeah. was an incredible game. This uh, It's the from the maker of Tempest, right? Uh-huh. Yes. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Minter. Yeah. Minter, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so getting him on board was a 25-minute pitch. Was it 40 minutes? Something like that. I hadn't seen him since the mid-80s when he and I were making video games. And he'd had a bad time on iOS and he'd had a bad time with other platforms. And when I got him in, um, it was with the wonderful Gaz Lydon, who acted as uh, the go-between. He was convinced that we were onto something with what we were doing with Vita and he was convinced that it would benefit Jeff. And I said, yes, definitely, definitely come in with him. So he came in. And basically, I spent 25 minutes telling Jeff what I thought of him, which was that I thought a guy like him deserves an OBE, that he's one of the biggest credits to the British games industry, um, that he's incredibly underappreciated, that his output is truly uh, artistic and unique and uncompromising and needs to be recognized as such. And anyway, basically, he, he understood that I wasn't just a suit, even though I was wearing a jacket right? So I was not a suit. I appreciated his work and I wanted to see it. So 25 minutes are up and this is in the canteen 
um, this business conversation at PlayStation. After the 25 minutes were up, uh, I said, well, what do you want to make? And he said, uh, this. And I said, how much you need? Uh, this. And I said, okay, let's do it. And that was a deal done. And Gaz got in touch with me over Twitter, direct message, about an hour after the meeting. And he said, I've never, never, ever seen a meeting like it. But that wasn't the exception. That's how most meetings were back in the day. I mean, it was real uh, trust the developers and the, the games will come. And they did. Ollie Ollie was another that was oh, I mean, that one, one of that my one favorite games ever. Mm. Did you yeah. see? Oh my god, the trailer for the new one. Oh my god, it looks so goddamn good. <laughs> oh, they're, I cannot. And wait. they're friends to this day, you know. And they came in. First couple of things they showed me were rank, um, but I didn't say anything. I was very polite. And then they said, "Look, we've been playing with this thing." And they they put an iOS demo in my hands. And within thirty seconds, I knew we had to have it. And my entire demeanor with them changed and i said we got to do this i think my team were there and i said all right let's just make this happen <laughs> we got to get this on on vita and it was it's was just stunning one a bafta in the end you know they're very they were very nice they they said thank you to to us um when they won the bafta for it i can't wait oh my god i can't wait for the next for the next one i think it's switch yeah roll seven are great yeah, I think Switch is the platform. Oh, they're also bringing this PlayStation 2. Um, not PlayStation 2. That'd be weird. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a choice. PlayStation sure. as well. I'm not going to go through the whole list, guys. It's mm-hmm. it's endless. But it was about the people for me. It's always about the developers. I knew that if you empowered them, that they would produce their best work. And that's all you had to do. You didn't have to care about the game. You had to care about the developers. And you had to care about the reputation you had with the developers. And if you did that, everyone would come to you. Everyone would want to work with you. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And it was such a powerful effect that we used it to leverage onto PS4. Um, and again, with PSVR as well. So yeah, that I mean, lots of reasons why I'm extremely fond of the Vita. Not, not just as a device, which I, I do think it was one of the most complete devices ever created. I still prefer the feel of a Vita in my hands to the feel of a Switch, even though I recognize the Switch is a spiritual successor to the Vita. But I still prefer the OLED screen. I still prefer the controllers. I still prefer Mm -hmm. the premium feel of that thing and the games on it. I loved it because of that, but I also loved it because of the, the scene we created, the developers we empowered, and the momentum we gave those developers and the industry at an important time. 